Thank you, Peter. Now, aren't you glad that God enjoys laughter as well, and he doesn't really mind that we can laugh in the middle of a prayer? You know, after all, where did we get, the, where did we get our sense of humor and our sense of, of love for, for those en- enjoyable things? I do want to just bring you up to date a little bit. Peter alluded to it in uh, his prayer, but uh, uh, I did speak to Terry, Janice's sister, on Friday evening after the surgery. Uh, it was a different procedure than they originally had planned on, and Terry said that Janice was a little bit apprehensive about it all, but uh, it went through. It went through well. Uh, she will be in hospital still for prob- for sure a week or if not two. So keep praying for her. Keep praying for healing. It's going to take more adjustment for the type of trach that they put in. So pray for that as well, if you would. Now, whoops, I told you I. One of the things I learned is the clicker I had in New Dundee, I could go back and forth on the big circle, right? This one I can't. i got to go to the one below, and I keep forgetting to do that. <laughs> in honor of uh, the reading of God's Word and in honor of the Word of the God, would you please stand, uh, if you're able to, and join with me as we read together in unison our morning scriptures, which will also be our text for this morning. Reading from Luke 22, verses 7 through 16. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. And he replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. (laughs) I told you, hang on. (laughs) Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. The reading of God's word. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we ask that in this moment of taking time to look at your word, that you would send your spirit amongst us, so that as we think upon the sacrifice Christ Jesus made on our behalf, we would hear your word, even as you would move our hearts to accept what we hear, so that you might purify our will to obey in joy and faith. We pray through Christ our Savior. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, a few weeks ago when I preached at the beginning of the month, we started what I called the Countdown Series. It's the countdown throughout that last week of Jesus' life. And it, that week is going by really quickly. Sunday's come and gone, so is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And now the last week of Jesus' life here on earth is coming quickly to an end. 
And yet every day, every day of that week, Jesus would be found in the temple courts as eager crowds gathered round listening to every word that he spoke, the amazing truths that he taught. For what Jesus said was like nothing they had ever heard before. So they came early, eagerly, waiting expectantly, hanging on to everything that this very different rabbi said. And yet, they were almost all completely unaware of how this week was going to end. And now, now it's Thursday morning. Luke says that it's the day of unleavened bread. The beginning of a week-long festival, which celebrates the journey of the children of Israel through the wilderness, a time when for the first 30 days of that journey, they had nothing to eat except unleavened bread, flat bread, bread made without yeast. And I have a feeling they really liked their leavened bread better than the unleavened. And so God uh, had instructed the Hebrews to celebrate the journey as a festival after he had re taken, them in, uh, re taken them through the wilderness wanderings. And wherein they specifically remembered that period of time that their ancestors ate nothing but unleavened bread as they wandered in the wilderness. For God wanted the people to remember and to never forget. Everything that he had done for them as he led them out of bondage in Egypt. But first, the Passover. The Passover. Just as it was the Passover that took place before God led the Hebrews out of Egypt. So the festival of unleavened bread would also begin with the observation of the Passover by the eating of what was known as the Passover meal. And it came complete from God with all of the instructions, the types of foods, the rituals that God had given Moses to give to his people, all so that they would remember and not forget everything that God had done for them. So in Jesus' day... Even as it is to this very day, before celebrating the festival of unleavened bread, the people observe Passover. Passover, when in Jesus' day, a lamb, especially a carefully chosen lamb, would be sacrificed and roasted for the special Passover meal, complete with all the rituals and foods that God had instructed, had himself mandated through Moses. For this was a night to remember, a time to commemorate the last hours the Hebrew people would spend as slaves back in Egypt, an utterly horrific night, never to be forgotten, because that was the night that the angel of death swept over that land. And every firstborn son in every home would be subject to the, to the angel of death, except, except for those who obeyed God's command. Those who chose an unblemished lamb, who prepared it, who sacrificed it, and then who took some of the blood and sprinkled the blood up upon the lentils and the doorposts of their homes.
So that when the angel of death would come over that house at night, he would pass over that house. For that house had the lamb's blood sprinkled on the doorposts and the lintels. And where the blood was applied, the firstborns would be spared. Now the Passover meal, full of ritual, rich symbolism, was a dramatic foreshadowing of greater things that would, 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 be, would, would take place. A sacrifice that would now have the power to free any and all who seek after it from bondage, from slavery to sin, from the consequences of sin to the glories of eternal life. And that greater sacrifice was weighing heavily upon Jesus, especially that Thursday morning, I'm sure. For just in a matter of hours, he, the Son of God, would truly be the Lamb of God. And he would become the actual sacrifice. But that would be Friday. This is Thursday. And the festival of unleavened bread was about to begin. And this festival was a joyous occasion. And it would begin with the observance of the more solemn Passover meal. But at least for those, well, at least for those who were from the northern kingdom, you know, up to around Galilee and so on, that would happen on Thursday. Because that's how they calculated the passing of time from sunrise to sunrise. It was the southerners down in Judah where they, they tended to, to calculate time from sunset to sunset. You think, that's confusing. Well, for them, the Passover meal would be eaten on Friday. You think that sounds confusing? Just think of it as two different time zones. We have that right here in our land, right? Except it's not a difference in hours. But rather, it's a difference in the way that a day begins and ends. And it all worked out very practically, as a very practical solution, actually, to ease the really heavy congestion in the temple where the Passover lambs were to be sacrificed. But for our purposes, we're going to take Luke's lead and treat it as Thursday. This is Thursday, the day that the Passover would be eaten. And Jesus, now it was Thursday morning when Jesus told the two leading disciples, Peter and John, to prepare the Passover meal. He wanted to spend this Passover with them so that they could all eat it together. This was not the first time. In fact, it might have been the third time or more, who knows. And they were to prepare the Passover meal so that they could all be together. This would not be a small task. All you have to do is think of the meal as getting ready for Christmas dinner, right? The table would have to be set. The meal would have to be prepared. The Passover lamb would have to be taken to the temple and sacrificed and then roasted. And they would have to make or buy unleavened bread. And then, my goodness, there were all those sauces and all the prescribed ceremonial foods and the drinks, especially the wine, as it was central to the meal. There were so many things to do, being sure that the Paschal or the Passover lamb especially would be sacrificed between 2.30 and 5.30 at the temple on that Thursday. So many details to see to. So, where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked Jesus. 
And he replied, and he said, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. Now, it seems that this conversation took place probably very early Thursday morning, perhaps first thing. Probably while they were still up out on the Mount of Olives because they left the city every night and spent it on the Mount of Olives. Possibly in Bethany, perhaps Bethpage, maybe even Gethsemane. We're not sure where this this discussion took place. But definitely it was before Jesus entered the city entered Jerusalem to spend one last morning teaching in the temple courts. So where? Peter and John's question was very logical. Where do you want us to do this, Lord? They needed to know what Jesus had in mind. Where could they actually go and make the preparations? For they were going to need a pretty large space, a big room big enough for Jesus and his 12 disciples And this was actually the day that the Passover would be eaten, so they had to get on with the preparations. So where, Jesus, where do you want us to prepare this? And he replied, now whether Jesus made those arrangements ahead of time or not, whether it was just simply by divine knowledge, he simply knew what was going to happen, we don't know, nor does it really matter. But Jesus' instructions were clear And they were straightforward. Jesus knew what had to happen, and he he knew how it was going to happen. For Peter and John were going to go ahead of the others, and then when they entered the city, they would find a man meeting them or carrying a pitcher of water. And that would have really stood out in Jerusalem. For in that time, the carrying water was a woman's job not something a man would normally do. So seeing a man carrying water would be very noticeable, even in a crowd. Jesus said, follow him. When you see that man, follow him. And when you get to the house that he enters, talk to the owner of the house and tell him that the teacher asks, where is the guest room that where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Now, what we need to know, what we need to remember at this point is that the tensions between Jesus and the religious leaders and the, as I call them, the religious elite of that day were at an all-time high. Tensions were ready to snap. And never mind that Jesus knew Judas Iscariot's heart and knew the actions that this beloved disciple of his would actually take. Jesus knew this had to be a private location. The preparations would would have to be discreet, the location unknown, so that even Judas would not know their actual destination until they arrived there. Jesus would provide a safe place to celebrate this one last feast. Now, tradition says that the house was the home of John Mark, the one who would later write the first gospel account. 
And if that is so, it's very possible this man might actually have been John Mark's father, a man who by all accounts was a man who followed Jesus, a man who would have known exactly who the teacher was, a man who might even have recognized Peter and John, but that's really only speculation. What we don't really know for sure is, what we do really know for sure is that whoever, whoever the owner was, Jesus told them that this man would take them and show them a room, an upper room. It would already be set up, it would be furnished, it would be ready to go for those final preparations that they needed to make. Now, that may seem strange to you and me. Why would there be a room already ready? And why would a man be so open to opening his house up to have somebody come there? Well, what we have to remember is that at Passover time, there were literally thousands of pilgrims crowding into the city from miles all around Jerusalem. And many of the owners of homes within the city, well, they had space, or at least they had a rooftop, and sometimes a room up on that rooftop, and they could, you know, have it semi-ready, like a table in the, the recliners there, and everything they needed for the, the Passover meal, and then they could rent it out. So that wasn't a, an odd thing, that there would be a room that was ready. And then the people, the pilgrims coming into the city, they could rent these. They could celebrate their feast up, up, in, this, up in these rooms. And these were often separate spaces, except, uh, accessible from the outside. They were just perfect for uh, pilgrims to celebrate in there. So he's going to show you one of those large upper rooms, all furnished. Make your preparations there. Well, when Peter and John entered the city, everything happened exactly as Jesus had said. And they went about making all the necessary preparations, being sure that the Passover meal would take place without a hitch, so that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. When the hour came. Now, for the northerners, that would have been Thursday, as I told you. For the southerners, that would have been Friday. For Passover was always eaten between sunset and midnight, just as the meal was first eaten back in Egypt. Because the parallelisms need to be very, very close here. And God made sure that the, that's why he gave so much detail to how the Passover was to be. Jesus and his disciples would have taken place around the tables and they would be reclining on couches uh, for such an important meal as this. And everybody would be reclining around the table, perhaps with their heads on their left arms and their bodies stretched out behind them, with the lower extremities the furthest away from the table, especially their feet, right? And as they settled to enjoy the evening celebration, Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Oh yes, yes. This was a celebration Jesus did not want to miss. This one last feast with his chosen 12, followers whom he loved, followers who had been so faithful and dedicated to him. And he was very eager. He, was, he anticipated this time that he would share with them. In fact, the text makes it very clear. For in the Greek, Jesus says that it was with desire. 
I have desired. With desire, I have desired to be with you with great, deep, fervent desire. This one last thing that Jesus truly wanted to do with his disciples. This one last feast. And while Luke doesn't record the things Jesus shared with his disciples that night of the Passover, John tells us in his gospel, and he shares much of what Jesus would have shared from his heart in those last words, those imparting words with his, with his 12 chosen. Of course, 11 at that time, as Judas had already left. And that would prove to be vitally important to these men who would be very soon thrust into carrying on the work of God's kingdom here on earth. And even as Jesus knew that his time of suffering was only a matter of hours, for these few moments in time, safely clustered away in, his, in his, that upper room, in where clustered away from his enemies, Jesus would enjoy. Jesus would celebrate. Jesus would cherish those last few moments with these men that he so dearly had come to love. This one last feast, Jesus knew, was his final opportunity to prepare his followers for what was about to happen. Even as it became a beautiful foreshadowing of what was still to come. When God's kingdom, when Christ's kingdom would come in all of its glorious fullness. And so Jesus says, I tell you. I will not eat again until it, uh, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now the word translated there as fulfillment in the Greek is in the usual construction about regarding something that awaits in the future. And trying, uh, tying this Passover celebration into that great messianic banquet that awaits all of God's people gathering around the banquet table of heaven itself, the time when every believer's redemption will be made complete, and Jesus' preaching about the coming kingdom would be finally, fully realized. Indeed, it's Jesus' promise of glory that awaited those seated with him in that upper room, even as it is the glory that awaits you and me and every person who has been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Thursday. So what? What's this message all about? What's the point of everything that I just tried to highlight and, and to specifically point out to you? What is it that we need to take from the things that happened on that final Thursday as they gathered in that upper room before even going into that Last Supper? Well, there are three things. There are three things that strike me as very important. And the first thing that I want you to note is that the disciples did exactly as Jesus instructed them. The disciples obeyed Jesus even if it sounded strange to them to find a man carrying water when they go through the city gate. And, after, and, and, and they did exactly as Jesus had instructed them, and, and uh, that really 
is important because we now are Jesus' followers. What does Jesus instruct us to do? And are we ready and willing and obedient? Cherub and I have a devotional and prayer time after supper every night. And a couple of nights ago, we read a devotional entitled, When God Gives a Command by Henry and Richard Blackaby. And it's a devotional based on Mark's version of what happened that final Thursday night or morning when they stood out and Jesus gave instructions. And what stood out in, my, in Blackaby's thoughts was the fact that the two disciples were given very detailed instructions and they simply obeyed. They did what Jesus asked of them. The Blackaby says, and I'm quoting, Obedience to Christ's commands always bring fulfillment. When the Lord gives you instructions, obey. And then what's the next word? Obey immediately. Obey immediately. Too often when we hear Jesus asking us to do something, to go to someone, to say something, to, to uh, be his, his word and his person in that time and place, we often pause. Well, the pausing itself isn't a bad thing. Make sure we understand. But then, far too often, our pause becomes a delay. And we find many reasons, many excuses, to put off doing whatever is being asked of us. Sometimes we will fully understand what is being asked. Other times we will not understand. And it really doesn't matter. What matters is the bottom line. Obedience. Just as Peter and John obeyed Jesus' instructions, we too must obey whenever we are told to do something. If there is anything that God has given you to do, if, and you have not obeyed, if there's someone he wants you to speak to, if there is something that you just need to do to encourage someone, don't hesitate. Do it immediately. Obey. Obey right away and watch what God will do in your life and the lives of others. So that's the first thing I want you to think of. Obey whatever Jesus tells you. The second thing it has to do with the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb, which according to God's instructions in Exodus 12, must be well, year-old year males, one-year-old males, sheep or goats, without defects, carefully, specifically, especially chosen, and sacrificed by men under the commandment of God. But that was all about to change. For the New Testament Gospels point us to a, a different Passover lamb. They point out Jesus as God's uh, Passover lamb. Remember John the Baptist's comment and declaration. Uh, he, the next day John saw Jesus coming to, uh, toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All other lambs in the sacrificial system had been offered by men under God's command. But the lambs had no say in what was about to happen. 
But here, here as we focus on this one last feast, we are provided with the foreshadowing of what God is about to do in changing the sacrificial system altogether as he will provide the one and only lamb who would do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And Jesus did it willingly. He did it knowingly. Jesus was not killed by men. Get that straight right away. Jesus willingly gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. So this is all about the Passover lamb. No longer a physical animal, but an actual person who gave his own blood and life for us. And finally, the the third thing I want to point out is this one last feast was initially for Jesus, wasn't it? It was his feast. He was eagerly looking forward to it, to spend with his 12 followers. And the blood of the Passover lamb would have been sprinkled on the doorposts and the lintels of that upper room, just as it was prescribed. And the sacrifice would have covered those who ate the meal together in that room. And it would have been effective over that moment in time and over that room in which they met. But Jesus was about to change all that throughout the course of the evening and into the next day. As he instituted what has become one of the most sacred and meaningful moments of worship, which we call the Lord's Supper. And it was only possible because Jesus himself became God's sacrificial lamb. And the blood that was spilled would be available not just to those people in the room who were covered by what was on the doorposts, but it would be available for all humanity, for the whole world. For Jesus came into the world to take away the sins of the world. And just as the blood of the sacrificed lamb had been applied to the doorposts and the lintels of the door of each of the homes where the Passover was celebrated, so too Christ's blood must be applied to the doorposts and the lintels of our hearts for it to be effective. But it is now universally available to all. It's not limited to one race of people. It's not limited to one part of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. While it was the love of God that brought Jesus into this world as one of us, it was the love that kept Jesus nailed to Calvary's cross. But my friends, and this isn't a popular subject this day and age, it was the blood of Christ that does it. It does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Colossians, we read, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How? by means of Christ's blood on the cross. 
And in Hebrews we read, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into his most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And finally, Peter says, For you know that God paid a ransom. He paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. My friends, Today, the only way you can know that you are forgiven is if that blood has been applied to your sin. How do you do that? We don't actually sprinkle blood on doorposts and lintels, do we? No, we come to the cross. We confess our need for a Savior. We tell God how much we have wronged Him. We, commit, we confess our sins to Him. And he gloriously, gloriously applies the blood of Christ to those sins. And when he does, then those sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And we belong to him. Has the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ's sacrifice, has it been, has it been sprinkled on the doorposts and lintels of your heart? Oh, I pray it has. Have you received his sacrifice as your redemption? There's no other way, my friend. It's the only way. There is no other. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. So if you've never, never taken that most important step in coming to Christ, I pray that you would do that even before you leave this place this morning. May we pray. Not all of the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb of God, takes all our guilt away. Lord Jesus Christ, how can we ever say thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you that you willingly and even eagerly left the glories of heaven to come into this world of sorrow and grief, and that you became the very Lamb of God, making that once and for all sacrifice for our sin. Pour your love into our hearts, we pray. And if there be one of us here this morning that has not had the blood of your sacrifice applied to the doorposts of our hearts, may we pray that your spirit would lead that person into saving faith. And for those of us who have had the blood applied to the sins of our lives and to our hearts and minds, may we find ourselves pondering anew the depth, the width, 
the magnificence of your amazing love for us as we journey through this Lenten season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, we respond to the word this morning, I invite you to stand if you're able as we sing to the Lord and tell him what he is to us this morning.
Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen and amen. Peace, my friends. Is a man.